0: morning, celebrating the birth of Christ at our Christmas service, the Sunday before Christmas. And this morning, we're going to do exactly that. We're going to look together at the coming of the Savior of the world. I'm going to read to you this morning uh, in way of introduction, verses 1 through 18 of Matthew chapter 2. If you would, please stand one last time in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, "'Go and search carefully for a young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also.' When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, "...and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother." Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death, all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Let us pray. Father, we come this morning with grateful hearts. We come this morning to worship You. We're thankful, Lord, for the gift of Your Son. We're thankful for the birth of our Savior. God, this morning we pray as we come and and sit through another Christmas service. For some of us, this is many, many years, Lord, that we've sat through A service on Christmas and listen to the coming, the the story of the coming of your son. I pray this morning that it would be more than a story. God, that it would be more than just another Christmas service. We pray that you would give divine revelation to our eyes, to our ears, to our hearts to see you in a new way this morning. And God, if need be, even to see ourselves in a new way. Lord, I ask that you'd save anybody here this morning who is not truly saved. God, that you would challenge and equip the saints. Above all, that you would be lifted up and glorified. We ask that your spirit would have freedom to move amongst us this morning, challenging us and changing us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When you read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, you find the reality that the coming of Jesus nearly 2,000 years ago was a little bit more um, eventful, trying, painful than the classic picture that we see in modern day America painted a picture, a picture of Jesus um, lying peacefully in a manger and uh, surrounded by angels and the shepherds worshiping Him. And we see that really, even at the birth of Jesus, He was born into this world in a time of controversy. That His coming, before He had ever preached a sermon, before He had ever looked at the Pharisees in the eyes and called them vipers and whitewashed tombs and aroused within them the anger of being publicly convicted of their sins, Before that had ever happened, there was controversy with his birth. And the reality is that Jesus is a controversial figure. His coming was controversial. His life was controversial. His death was controversial. His resurrection from the dead was controversial. The starting of the first century church was controversial everything about this man, the God-man, was controversial. And as we read through just 18 verses in one account of His coming, we see many different uh, opinions, many different varied responses to the birth of this baby. We see a king that is furious and that wants him dead. We see... Wise men, that basically meaning scholars, magi, those that study the stars, scientists. There are a lot of different terms we could use to refer to these wise men, but that's why they're called wise men, much like we would call a um, scholar that teaches at a college, doctor. These men, we, we see them coming and presenting him gifts. We will see the Jewish people who were also... Uh, it doesn't say much about him, And the reason it doesn't say much about him is, while it does tell us all Jerusalem was concerned, it's interesting that none of the Jewish people went to see this Jesus, this prophesied Messiah whom they had for years been told about. None of them go. They just kind of ignore it. And then we see shepherds going and worshiping Him. There are a lot of different varied responses that Jesus is coming and the truth is, nothing is different today. You know, I, I acknowledge that in America, in our culture, which is going the wrong direction, that is, that is becoming anti-God and, and, and that is becoming less and less Christian in all that it does, I acknowledge that in our culture, the truth is that there is more hostility towards Christmas and the coming of Christ and the message of the gospel than there has been in the history of this country. But worldwide, let's not be mistaken, there has always been controversy. Worldwide, there have always been those who have sought to destroy Christ. Worldwide, since the uh, curse in Genesis chapter 3, and God said, I'll put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, there has always been a war against the Messiah. And so what we're experiencing today isn't really anything new. Maybe it's new to us, our culture, but it's not new to the world. And I want to ask the question this morning, why are there so many different responses to the birth of Christ, to the coming of a Savior? First, let's look at the King. King Herod heard news of Jesus and The birth of a child. And his response was, you find every male child in Bethlehem and in the region around it, every male child two years old and under, and you kill them. This was Herod's response. Kill the king. What I want to tell you this morning is that whether we like it or not, there's a little bit of each and every one of these characters in all of us. There's a little bit of Herod in everybody under the sound of my voice. There he is. You see, his response to the Savior was, his response to the King was, I see Him as a threat to me. And because He is a threat to my kingdom, because He is a threat to my authority, I'm going to kill Him. Rather than submit to another king, rather than the thought of there being one greater than me, rather than, than than allow this king to rise up and take reign and rule and authority, I would rather kill him and get rid of him and eliminate him from my life. Most of us don't want a king to rule the throne of our hearts. Now, while none of us here under the sound of my voice have ever walked in the authority of King Herod, And have had a public throne of kingdom and dominion over other people. Each and every one of us was born as the king of our own heart. You make your own decisions. At the end of the day, you're the one who decides whether you will or whether you won't. Whether you'll go or whether you'll stay. Whether you'll do this thing or whether you'll do that thing. And the problem with humanity, the problem instinctively within each and every one of us is that there's a little bit of King Herod in us. And the idea that there is a king greater than me, that there is somebody who should have authority over my life and who should be able to control me and tell me what to do and what not to do is reprehensible at its core instinctively in each and every one of us. Some of us to different degrees, but one of the reasons this world rejects Jesus is the same reason that Herod did. They don't want another king. They don't want somebody else to come in and make the rules. To define what is right and what is wrong. To define what is moral and what is not. It's fitting. I don't typically do what I'm about to do right now, but I'm just going to do it anyways because I feel like it. I don't typically address anything going on in the media, political stuff, where I stand politically, any of that type of stuff. If you've been here for seven years, you've never heard a word of it and I'm still not going to address where I stand politically, but I want to use this whole Duck Dynasty thing um, this morning uh, in this point. The reason that the comments made concerning uh, uh, homosexuality have, have just started a firestorm in our culture is the same reason King Herod wanted Jesus dead. That's what it comes down to. People don't want to be told there is a king, there is a God, and He makes the rules. Now, I personally found it interesting that in the comments that were made, and if you don't know, I'm going to just kind of tell you what what was said. Phil Robertson, if you don't watch Duck Dynasty, he's he's the head guy of Duck Dynasty. He, He made the comment. That, and he was asked in the interview what he believed uh, sin sin was and what was immoral. And he basically made the comment homosexuality, uh, women sleeping with women, men sleeping with men, and then also men sleeping with this woman and that woman and that woman. And and uh, he went on to talk about drunkards. He talked about um, um, terrorists. He talked about all types of sin, not just one, and said. And quoted a passage from Corinthians, which basically says, Those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And it started this firestorm of, Who are you to say? Now, here's the problem it's not really him that said, it's not really me that says. That's what this says. And you either believe it or you don't. But even if you don't believe it, it doesn't change the fact. It's what it says. And this is the Word of God. And the reason that it invokes such rage in people is we want to believe that we can do what we want to do, that we are ultimately in charge, and that somehow that there is no king above us who we will answer to. And when we're told that there is, something instinctively rises up within us. And we say no. And so many of us in our culture, many of the people of this world, they reject Jesus for the same reason that King Herod did. They don't want another king. The Jews, on the other hand. Why did the Jews do nothing? This is one of the few places that we actually see the Jewish people absent from the story of Jesus' life. I mean you've got the magicians there from afar off who traveled the scene you've got Herod so concerned he's the you know Roman authority you've got you've got him concerned enough that he's placed orders to have every child 2 years old and under male child slaughtered and you've got the Jewish people who by the way for thousands of years now have been waiting for their coming messiah and they're absent. They're not even looking for Him. Why? You see, the Jewish people had in mind that when the Messiah come, that He would come in with some type of triumphant entrance that would be impossible to miss. And to some degree, the thought that He had already been born and that there was no real Uh, sign to the Jews was difficult for them to take. And when they found out that this Jesus was was born in a manger, that that the shepherds are the ones who had made the proclamation, and we'll look at that later, it's, it's understandable when you understand the mind of the Jew why they didn't really accept the message of the shepherds. I mean, the shepherds were like the least of the people in their society. What the shepherds did as a career, as a lifestyle, put them in what was called an unclean category. And so shepherds, they weren't even really part of the uh, worship services of the Jewish people of their day. They were just humble shepherds. And the idea that the Messiah, the Christ, that the a spoken one of God that was to come, had come and they didn't know about it and they were told about it by some shepherds who were out watching sheep, was something these Jews just said, no, that's not God. That's not our God. And we see throughout Jesus' ministry, especially at about age 30, when He took on His ministry and became publicly uh, known as this one who claims to be the Son of God, the miracle-working man, the one that loves sinners, the one that's healing the lepers, the one that's giving sight to the blind, we begin to see his, his head-on confrontation with the Jewish people and they don't believe He is who He said He was. And here's the reason why. The Jews were expecting a Messiah to come in on His ginormous, white horse, and slaughter all their enemies. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for the Messiah to come in to kill off Herod and all the Romans and everybody that they were under to set them up as the great superpower of the world to destroy all of their enemies and to make them great. You see, there's a lot of people that miss Jesus for the same reason. The only thing you really expect and think of God and the only God you're willing to to allow to to possibly come into your life is a God that's going to walk in and destroy everything that that you think needs destroyed. You see, the problem with the Jews, which is a problem with the most of this world, they didn't realize they too were enemies of God. If you don't believe it, read uh, John chapter 8. Jesus said, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And they said, what do you mean set free? We don't need set free from anybody. They lied through their teeth and said that they'd never been slaves since the day of Abraham. They must have forgot about the 400 years of slavery that took place uh, after Joseph. But nonetheless, they said, we don't need to be free. Our father Abraham, Jesus said, your father is the devil. You see, the Jews just did nothing with Jesus because He didn't fit their model of what the Messiah should look like. They didn't realize they needed delivered too. You know, that's the problem with much of our culture. Our culture thinks they got it all together. They don't need delivered from anything. They just need God to come in and fight off their problems. So they come to God, they come to church when the bills need paid, when their marriage is on the rocks, when they're about to lose their job, maybe they just lost their job, when all of a sudden they get caught for what they're doing and they're looking at prison time. And so they come and they're looking for the same type of Messiah the Jews were. That's a God who's going to just intervene in their life and fight off everything just going on around them. Never realizing He didn't really come to liberate you from the West Star bill. He came to liberate you from you. From your sin. That you too are an enemy of God. That all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And that we need forgiven. We need somebody to intervene on our behalf. We need a Savior. I don't just need God to fight off what's going on around me. Those things are so minor in the grand scale of my soul and eternity. I need God to intervene in my life and to forgive me of my sins and to change me and transform me from an enemy of God to a son or daughter of God. And many reject Jesus and reject this message of of Christmas and the coming of Jesus for the same reason the Jews did. They don't really think they need a Redeemer. And unless God fits this model of somebody that just intervenes to fix all the little problems around my life, you see that they just reject Jesus. And then we have the wise men. The wise men, as I've already said, were uh, astrologers. They were scientists. There's a lot of different terms we could use. Um, That's what the word wise there means. They were learned. I personally think it's interesting that the only people that were aware of this and searching this and, and, and watching for this were some... Scientists, some magi from the East. But when they come, they give Jesus gifts. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with giving Jesus gifts. But here's what we do know you never hear of them again. There is no record of them going back and telling their culture that the Savior of the world had been born and they're becoming a group of believers and followers of God based upon this. And these wise men are much like people in our society that think that because they simply acknowledge Jesus as a great leader, even a possible spiritual leaders sent to this world for a purpose. You can go that far, but until you know Him and acknowledge Him as the one and only spotless Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, until you acknowledge Him as Lord of heaven and earth, you still haven't known Him. And these men, they they came and they brought gifts, they Did their, paid their homage? They worshipped him in that sense? They turned around and went back home. And there's never any record anywhere of them going home and taking the message of the Savior has come to the world to anybody. They remind me of people I've talked with. I, I have been told before, Joplin, how can God let, you know, this person go to heaven who's been a terrible father, who's hurt somebody, who's been violent. Maybe they've murdered somebody or, or they've been involved in just sexual perversion their, their whole life and then they get saved and repent and go to church and follow God. I've had someone ask me that question, follow with this, and then God sends somebody like me to hell when I've never done that before. I've always helped my neighbor. I've always been a good person. You know, I've, I've been faithful to my wife and a good father. And there are so many people like that who think that somehow because I'm better than this guy, God should let me go to heaven. That somehow because I've done good stuff, That you can give your way into heaven. You can't give your way into heaven. You can become the next Bill Gates. And I don't know anything about Bill Gates or his Christianity, so I'm not saying Bill Gates is lost or saved. I don't know anything about him. I'm just talking about his wealth. You can become the next Bill Gates and give billions and billions of dollars to the hungry, starving children around the world and still spend forever in hell. You can show up and acknowledge that, yeah, you know, God's a good thing, and I've had people tell me Jesus is a good thing. If He helps you, then great. You know, it's just kind of not for me, but I'm not against Him, and, 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 and I even give to this charity and that charity, and their Christian charities because what they do is good. And those types of people still think somehow they've gone far enough. You can't be saved unless you're born again you can't be saved unless God saves your soul and we see three very different responses a king is furious because he doesn't want another king in his life the jewish people would say that's not that's not the messiah our messiah is going to eliminate every problem we ever face he's not going to come some humble servant I'm not our Messiah. No, He's here for us to vindicate us. It's all about us. It's all about me. And then you've got the wise men who actually went further than the other two in acknowledging the greatness of Jesus, but yet thought that simply acknowledging the greatness of Jesus and giving their stuff was somehow sufficient. And then we have in Matthew, excuse me, in Luke chapter 2. The response of the shepherds. Luke records a fourth group that Matthew does not. I want to close today looking at the response of the shepherds and answer the question, why was their response so vastly different? I'm going to go ahead and read verses 8-20 through 20 of Luke chapter 2. And this will be the sign to you, that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing. "...that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her hearts. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Here we see a fourth group responding to the birth of Jesus. The shepherds had the one true, correct, authentic response to the birth of Jesus. They showed up. They worshipped. They went and told others of the coming of the Messiah and all that had been told them. I want to ask the question, why were the shepherds so different? Why was their response different than everybody else's? I pray that God gives this revelation to the truth of why the shepherd's response was different. I pray that God will help us to see the need for understanding what I'm about to, to, to share this morning concerning not only what happened with the shepherds, but every church service that we ever have, every Bible verse you ever read, every person you ever witness to, everything that we do as a ministry. You see, the shepherds had one thing that the other three groups of people did not. They had heavenly revelation. had angels, had God literally opened up the eyes of these other groups to see the heavenlies around us, to hear them, to see what no one else had seen. This is the only time this had ever happened to the shepherds. It was a spiritual experience where in reality they were opened up Their eyes saw, their ears heard, their hearts understood the reality of the spiritual realm around them. And it changed everything for them. They didn't question. They knew what experience they had just had. There was a heavenly, supernatural, God-given intervention with the shepherds. And it changed them forever. That's the real thing that has to happen with each and every person before you can truly experience and accept Christ. Jesus Christ is not just a mental sense in your head that, that, well, He must have been real and He must be God if He did all the miracles He did, so I guess I better serve Him. If that's what your conversion experience looks like... I personally would have a very difficult time believing you really know God at all. That's that's the same mental ascent that the Magi gave him. But the truth is, this element of spiritual revelation is something that we can't hoop up. We can't holler it up. We can't kick it up. We can't shout it up. We can't lift lift hands, let everybody get hands up until it happens. It requires God Himself intervening. I remember the day that I was saved, and I remember where I was sitting, and I remember that I heard the voice of God. I didn't hear audibly, and I believe that God can speak audibly. I do believe that it's happened. I'm not saying that He doesn't, and I'm not mocking people who say that they've heard God audibly. I have not. Never heard an audible voice, but I heard God speak that day. And, and as crazy as it sounds, there's just no other way for me to say it but that. There's not another word in the human vocabulary to describe what happened to me. I don't know another way to say it, but I know it was God. It was a voice I'd never heard before. It wasn't me. You know, when you have thoughts and you think to yourself and, 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 and you're conflicted and you think this thing and you think that thing or you feel this. Or you feel, it wasn't that. It was a voice I'd never heard before. It was God speaking to me and I'm telling you something. At that moment in my life, my eyes were opened. My heart was opened. My ears were opened and I saw and heard God, the one true God, a God who for 20 years of my life I didn't believe existed. I didn't believe God was real. But in that moment, God opened me up to the reality of His presence and His realness. And it changed my life forever. What this world needs is not a better explanation of Christianity. We have some of the most... Um, educated scholars uh, leading our pulpits that we've ever had. We have some of the most educated explainers and uh, apologetics-driven teachers that we've ever known. And guess what? It's not changing the culture. It's not winning the minds of our young people. And what happened to these shepherds that night was not that somebody sat down to them and gave them the Jewish history discourse of why this is indeed the Messiah. They had heavenly intervention and it changed everything forever. That's what this world needs. That's what the church needs. Brothers and sisters, we have to understand, and I want you, if you're truly saved, some of you will understand what I'm saying, some of you won't. But I want you to think about The first time that your eyes were really open to the Spirit of God, it changed everything for you. The first time you really experienced something spiritual and came to the reality there's more to this world than what I see with my eyes. There's more to this world than what I can touch and what I can see and what I can hear. There is another realm around us. There is a spiritual existence. God is real. He's not just something we talk about to make us feel like we're somebody's looking over us when we're scared. He's real. He's here. He's now. He's active. He's, he, he's, he's around me. He's, he's in this place. He's changing lives. He's speaking to me. And when you're opened up to that for the first time, it changes your entire perspective of Christianity. And it is an experience that all the teaching in the world can't do, that just simply reading can't do, that singing can't do, that preaching can't do. I've had to understand in my own ministry that the most important thing that can happen in any given service is that God reveals Himself to people. Not that my points rhyme. Not that everybody thinks that I preach hard or preach right or preach loving or preach conviction. Everyone's got their opinions on how I should or shouldn't preach. The most important thing is not how great our songs are. It's not how many people are here. We could have 300 people here. And if God doesn't open up our eyes, if God does not give revelation. If God does not show up and manifest Himself and do the spiritual work in a spiritual people, it's just another gathering. And so the most important thing that we can pray for when we're witnessing, when we're reading our Bible, when we're having church services, is that God, as You did with the shepherd, open our eyes. Open our eyes to Your presence. Open our eyes to the reality of Your working in us open our eyes to the reality that, God, You're not just some God that's a billion miles away that has really great hearing that You can hear our whisper. But the reason You hear us is because You're here now. You're not over there. You're right here. You're this close. You're around Me. You're in Me as a Christian. You're indwelling Me. You're everywhere. You're active. You're at work. God, help me to realize that. Help me to see that. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it takes spiritual revelation To get a hold of what I just said. If you've never experienced it, that sounds phony to you. If you've never experienced it, that sounds weird to you. You say, Well, what is all that? And your response is the same thing to those that the shepherds, you know, they went and, and preached to everybody. You can rest assured a handful of them thought, You shepherds probably ate something out there in those fields you shouldn't have eaten. God did not show Himself to a bunch of shepherds. You all can't even go worship in the temple like everyone else. But God did show Himself to the shepherds. God did show Himself. I want to say this morning a couple of closing thoughts. What I just said has a very deep implication to true salvation. Truly being born again. Saved, changed, blood bought. But the impl- the the application does not stop there. As Christians, as Christians, there's a little bit of all three of the first three in us still. We don't want a king to tell us how I should be a husband, how I should be a wife, how I should handle my finances, how I should or shouldn't be faithful to, to um, this ministry. or or, or, or we, we, Even as Christians, don't tell me how I'm supposed to be. There's a bit of us like the Jewish people that of this particular era and time that really we just want God to you know, fight everything off we think needs change and help pay this bill and get rid of that person out of my life and change this for me change that for me so that my world is, I feel like a king. God's saying, no, I came to work on you. I'm more concerned about working on you and in you and doing some stuff in you and through you than I'm worried about dealing with this person that annoys you. Maybe that person's in your life on purpose to annoy you, so that I can show you you've got some junk in you that I need to deal with still. Because that person that annoys you that you don't want to be around is the same person that I sent my son to die and bleed on a cross for. And so the way I see that person and the way you see that person are two very different things. So the problem's not really the person, the problem's you. There's a little bit of the wise men in all of us too. Where we feel like, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, just give me a break. I've paid my duties. Uh-huh. At least I go to church. At least I put some money in the offering plate. At least I help with this ministry or that ministry. i I paid my dues. And God, therefore, owes me something. And then, fourthly, We must never forget, it still takes the revelation of God to know God. God opened up my eyes. I told you my story about God opening my eyes. It changed my life forever. I've never looked back. My my thought from that day forward, honestly, my thought was the same thought as Peter. You remember when uh, all the disciples walked out on Jesus in John chapter 6 and verse 66, and uh, Jesus then looked at his disciples and said, "Um, they've left. Are you going to leave me too? And Peter said this. He said, Lord, you hold the words of eternal life. And he asked this question. He said, where else, where else are we going to go? I'm telling you, that that was, I've I've never looked back. Where where else am I going to go? You are the one true God. I didn't know that before, but my eyes have been open now. My ears have been open. My heart has been open. I know what I didn't know. You are God. And the whole world that I've been raised up in, it denies you. It thinks you don't exist. It thinks you're just some imaginary character. But I've seen, I've heard, I know. And now, where else can I go? That was 14 years ago. And what I've learned in 14 years is that it still takes spiritual revelation to know the things of God. It didn't stop there. I... the. The things that I've known, the things that I've learned, the things that I've seen and I've heard that have most changed my life have always come when God shines spiritual light in my heart and in my mind and I understood what I was reading. I understood what the preacher was preaching. It changed my life in a whole new way. It was no longer just head knowledge. And I ask you this morning, church, how often do you show up with the mentality, that attitude of, of God, I need you to give me revelation this morning. I know the preacher might be preaching a sermon I've heard a hundred times before. I know that we might be going through the Christmas story. I know that, uh, or, or, or whatever it may be, but God, give me revelation. Help me to see what I haven't seen. Help me to hear what I haven't heard. Help me to know what I haven't known. Show yourself to me. I'm telling you, God wants this world to know Him. God wants you to know Him. God's not playing hide-and-seek and trying to hide away in some corner where hopefully you can't find Him. Our problem is when we think we can know Him without revelation. Our problem is if we think we're going to have church and sinners are going to get saved without God doing something spiritual and revealing Himself to people. Our problem is if we think that we can just regurgitate words and read passages, read words off of a a book, and, and, and just supernaturally something's going to happen. We've got to seek God. We've got to believe God. We've got to look to Him for revelation. I pray that God helps me to continue to know Him better. I pray that... God helped me to see Him for who He is. God, not only reveal to us that that You're real, not only reveal to us that You love us, not only reveal to us the reality that You came to save us, but reveal to us, God, as as, uh, uh, Hebrews says, that let us not neglect such a great salvation. God didn't just save us from hell. The salvation that's in Christ brings with it so much more. New life peace, joy. God is still the same God He's always been. He's still the God that provides. He's still the God that heals. He's still the God that saves. He's still the God that delivers. He's still the God that loves a lost and dying world. He's still the God that's able. Can we be honest? Those are just words that I just said until God really gives revelation. There have been times in my life where I knew something, but until God gave revelation. I mean, I believed God could heal, but I didn't believe He would heal. And then God gave me revelation. I believed God could work miracles. I just didn't think He would work miracles. And then God gave me revelation. I believed God could save anybody but He probably wouldn't save this person or that person or this pocket of people. And then God gave me revelation on the greatness and vastness of His salvation. And until God reveals, it's just head knowledge. This morning I pray that as we ponder on Christmas, I'll ask our worship team to come as we conclude. As we ponder on the Christmas holiday, Why was the shepherd's response so different? What is our response this holiday season to the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming? I pray that God gives our church continued revelation of His greatness and His goodness. That the reality of God in your life becomes more than just a passing thought. More than just a mental ascent. I pray that you know him more. I had a man sit me down one time and and really challenged me on my relationship with God. And by that what I mean is he didn't believe that I heard from God. He didn't believe that you could actually that God spoke to people and 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 thought I was lying about that and and my heart broke for one reason because if you make that accusation there's only one thing that it does prove it proves you've never heard what I've heard. Otherwise, you wouldn't say what you just said. But as I sit there, I sit at dumbfounded because how can you explain spiritual things to someone with no spiritual eyes? It's foolishness. Paul said that in First Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, that that which is truly spiritual is foolishness to the carnal world. And I thought, I wonder how many people are saved, but yet never really learn to walk with God, never really learn to hear from God, never really learn. And I think, God, just give revelation of yourself. God died. Jesus came and died on a cross, not so that you could just go to church, not just so you could know that the payment for your sins is paid. Why did why was there a payment for your sins? Did God just feel like He needed something to do? There was a purpose. And the purpose was so that you could be reconciled to God. So that you and God who were distant could now be one. That's relationship. And brothers and sisters, if God died and sent Jesus to die so that we could have a relationship with Him, Trust me, He does talk to you. He wants you to talk to Him. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to listen to Him. He wants you to hear His voice and that inner man of yours, the, your soul. He wants you to commune with Him and to know Him. That's what He wants. He wants you. All the pain for your sins and, and washing them away that had to happen in order for him to get what ultimately he was after, and that's a relationship with you. He loved you that much. I pray that God would continue to give you a revelation of himself. Lord, I pray that you move all across this room. We're so grateful. We're grateful that you sent your son. God, give us revelation of all that it needs.